welcome to episode 211 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Napa, California. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. What's happening, Ben? I'm a little tired today. What's up with that? You're, you're telling me you're tired every time now. You're supposed to be like the superior human who takes perfect care of himself and uh, is never tired. Yeah. This, did I mention that before? Jeez, that's not good. Mm-hmm. I was not even aware mm-hmm. of that. No, it's part of our routine oh, now. Shoot. Pretty much every morning that we record the podcast, you tell me you're tired. <laughs> I don't know. That's not good. I'll work on it. I'll <laughs> dig in. I'll try to become more self-aware of my own perpetual tiredness, apparently. Jeez. Yeah, I've been sleeping. I've been sleeping like 11 hours a night. What? I don't know what's going on. I just go to bed and just never get up. I've been going to bed early. And I just like sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep. And I never, ever get up. I got up all of 15 minutes before our podcast today. I grabbed myself. A- you slept that whole time. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just like, wow. uh, yep. I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the change in the weather or something. It's starting to feel like fall here in Napa. Just feels time to be like cozy. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Okay, cool, man. That's great. Yeah, I'll I, send you some of my kids. How's that sound? <laughs> no, I don't need those. I got a, uh, I got a nice little. You don't need those. No, I don't. Those things. I do not need any of those. I'm out. I'm not signed up for that program. I did just hang out with my buddy's kids uh, here. I came to visit my friends here in Napa. They have two boys and a dog, so I had a very domesticated time yesterday. I took the dog for a walk. And uh, just, you know, hung out, had dinner with the boys, played played video games with the boys. Yeah, so you got a t- taste of domestication and then yeah, return to your... about a day and a half is about, that's all I need. A day and a half per month or something like that is about all I need. My, my, my understanding of kids is that they're pretty much full-time and that's, that's why I'm off of that program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today on the show, we are going to talk about conjunctions versus contractions, <laughs> which is a correction from episode 210 because we're idiots. Yeah, basically, well, I guess we should just do that right now. We, um, we're talking about contractions like can't or shouldn't or won't. And uh, throughout episode 210, we repeatedly referred to them as conjunctions. <laughs> Yes, which are connecting Which is like words. and or and, or, yep. yeah. or but, yeah. So anyway, we're dumb, and that word is contractions, not conjunctions. So we apologize, and uh, thank you, producer Annalisa, for finding it. We're going to do a pearls versus turds today on reading comp. Okay. We are going to talk about whether you should do a law school prep course. Oh, Okay. We have an update from a Chapman Law School 2L. That'll be interesting. We have a kind of funny email from Maine Law School. I don't know if you saw that, Ben. It's pretty amusing. Okay. And we have a, seen it. And we have a personal statement from Mary. This is going to air on September 23rd, which means you might have taken the September LSAT two days ago. If you did, we'd love to hear how it goes. I don't know about you, Ben, but everybody always like thinks that I'm busier than I am. They don't like, they don't really actually reach out to me and tell me how it went. Like even my students or my tutoring students, like don't they like, they think, Oh no, Nathan's too busy. 
And so mm-hmm. they don't send me updates, but I, I would love to hear how it went from you on September 21st, if you took the test. So just email the show, help at thinking else at, and give us your, uh, your update. Yeah. What happened? What's what, what experiences are people having now that the test is digital, right? Yeah. I have a whole slew of stories of people who have experienced misinformation about timing. The proctor didn't give them the warning. They gave them the warning, but it was too late. They extended their time. I don't think we're going to hear a lot of those stories anymore, but we'll hear different stories. Uh, For example, if someone's device stops working, their timer in theory should stop. They'll get a new device from the proctor and then their timer will resume, which from what I understand would require everyone else in the room to wait for their section to be done. If that's actually what's going to be the new normal, I'm curious how many people will experience that, how much time delay they'll have between sections and so on. I mean, we'll hear new stories. Hopefully that won't be that much of an issue. I mean, I'm doing timed sections now in my classes in the demon and nobody ever has a problem or it's like exceedingly rare that anybody has a problem. Yeah. So if we can develop the demon that quickly, surely LSAC (laughs) with their immense resources should be able to develop something stable. I, I don't know. Did you see the email yesterday from LSAC that they are going to allow pencils? Yes, I did see that. Mm-hmm. That's what didn't, is that not doubling? Did they not change their mind on that? I thought that they always did allow oh. pencils, even with the digital test. They just didn't make it explicit. Then why does or, the stylus have a pen? Maybe because a, combining a stylus with a, or a, <laughs> like a touchpad with a pencil is like <laughs> conceptually difficult. Cause they're like, wait, why are we going to put even, the eraser? Just why is there even a pen on it? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure someone thought, oh, we can do two for one here. We can get a we can get a writing utensil and a stylus in one. Yay. I thought they were Look gonna, at that efficiency. <laughs> oh, I thought they were gonna not allow pencils, but it turns out that they are going to allow pencils. And I you probably should bring one for the logic games, don't you think? I would. I would prefer using a pencil. To use in a pen in the logic game. Even though you, I, you shouldn't be erasing a lot, but just in case. Yeah, like if I, you know, you write down a rule and then you realize another rule could link in and you didn't realize it before, then you can just do a little erasing and, and link it in the way you want to as opposed to crossing it out yeah. and writing it again. I Yeah, I mean, I think there's not any harm in my mind and there's some potential benefits. So That's, I'd say go for it. I'm excited because that allows me to keep going to the art store in downtown LA that I go to that sells fancy pencils with funny sayings on them mm, and giving them to go. my classes. Yeah. I enjoy giving them pencils that say badass bitch or <laughs> zero fucks given or <laughs> whatever i let them pick they don't have to have yes. swears on them but most of them do anyway let's see we are extremely excited to be coming to new york city on saturday october 12th and 13th for mm-hmm. one of our live lsat classes yeah i can't wait um that class is filling up so please go to thinking and sign up now 
It's $395. It's also a screaming bargain for LSAT Demon subscribers. You're going to get a $300 scholarship if you are a a premium subscriber. You're going to get a $200 scholarship if you are a normal Demon subscriber. Or you can just pay the full price of $395 and join us for uh, two full days of instruction in New York City. Hey, let me add to that, Uh that this class, I'm always tracking registration rates just so I can try to guess how many people are going to be in the class ultimately as we choose a venue. Mm -hmm. And this class is hands down filling up way faster than the other class, other classes, all the classes we've done in the past. So if you're interested, I would get on it and sign up to get yourself a seat. Yeah. We made it a screaming bargain. So People are apparently price sensitive and uh, they're, they are signing up. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. It's going to be fun to come to New York. It's going to be fun to see you fun to teach for two days. There's always a good like energy in those classes should be motivating, should be helpful. I think it'll be really fun. So go to thinking com to sign up. If you have any questions about that, you can just email help at thinking com. You can always email help at thinkinglset.com if you have questions for the show, want to get your personal statement on the agenda, whatever you want to do. You can record a voicemail, by the way, if you want to hear your voice on the show, just use call recorder, whatever recording thing you have, and just send us a wave file and we can use your voice on the show. Send us a selfie if you'd like, uh, if you're so inclined, so we can use your uh, picture in our show notes and social media and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Don't forget that you can listen to the show and subscribe to the show all kinds of ways. Hit the subscribe button, please, in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or you can just go directly to our website, thinkinglset.com. All righty. Oh, one more note about that class in New York. If you need another reason to come, there actually is a law school forum in New York City on the day before. So Friday, October 11th and Saturday, October 12th, you wouldn't be able to go Saturday, October 12th because we're going to be teaching all day. But Friday, October 11th from one to six at the Grand Hyatt, New York on 42nd Street, you are, you'd be able to go to the law school forum and then come out and meet us for drinks Friday night. (laughs) So it's kind of a win, win, win. If you're thinking about traveling to New York for the weekend. Yeah. Uh, you can also hit up the law school forum in addition to a bargain of an LSAT class. So hopefully we will see you there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the conjunction thing. We, it's not our mm. fault. <laughs> <laughs> We're so emotionally mature that we are going to turn around and blame others. <laughs> this is Donald Trump style. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh whatever we don't need to we don't need to burn down Reme Reem Reme I don't know whatever Remy yeah it's fine they the original uh email did have the word conjunction uh, twice or oh, we fell for it yeah yeah we're we're dumb we're dumb okay pearls versus turds you ready yeah all right why don't you read it sure so by the way the scoreboard right now is five pearls twenty two turds and eleven ties. So predominantly turds out there, but let's see what Aubrey has to say. 
Out of both boredom and desperation, I looked to Google for RC tips. One tip I found that I had never heard before was to read each RC passage twice. <laughs> I was wondering what y'all thoughts were about this. I'm updating the scoreboard. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So this is interesting because let me, let me try to justify this, this thought process first. I think what they're thinking is you read through it, you're getting your mind wrapped around the subject matter and then you read it again and you fill in gaps that you didn't understand the first time. I do think that someone who does not understand the passage should go back and read it again. But hopefully you realize that well before you get to the bottom of the passage. In fact, hopefully you realize that after you read the first sentence or maybe even the first paragraph, you got to be aware, self-aware of how much you understand or really don't understand what you're reading as you're reading it. Like if you have questions, that's a good sign that you need to reread. But also keep in mind that questions are a really good thing. Like sometimes I'll read a sentence and I won't get it and I'll read it again. I'm like, what the heck? Okay, well, they could be saying A or they could be saying B. And I'll take a moment to guess as to what things they might be saying. And then when I read the sentence that comes immediately after that, it always, um, not always, but almost always becomes very clear that they meant A or they meant B. And I'm like, ah, okay. But if I didn't take the time to at least conjure up what I thought they might be trying to say in that convoluted sentence, then neither of those options would stick out to me when I read the second sentence. It would just be continual, like, cloudiness, confusion, gray areas. So yeah, in general, you should be catching your misunderstanding well before you get to the end of the passage. Yeah. I, you don't have time to read the entire passage twice. This is a turd. There's no way that the right strategy is to read it. Even I've heard people say like, read it quickly once and then read it more carefully the second time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nah, how about you just read it well the first time? And that does mean sometimes rereading the first sentence or two, but I don't think you, or, or any sentence, any sentence that way. doesn't make sense or even half a sentence that doesn't make sense. You stop and scratch yeah. your head. I'll give another example, Ben, what you're talking about, where you, where you're like, huh? But then that turns out to be like the answer to one of the questions. So mm -hmm. you remember, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I think it's a great teaching example. You remember that one passage about how the kids in the study were misdescribing their mm -hmm. own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a recent reading comp passage where there's, they, they, it's about like whether we know our own thoughts directly or whether we infer our thoughts indirectly from, you know, evidence or whatever. And sure. it, it, I don't know, I didn't find it to be really very illuminating passage, but at the beginning of the, the very beginning of the passage, they have this line in there that they used kids in this study and the kids in the study had misdescribed their own thoughts. And when I encountered that, I remember going, wait a second, if these kids are, how do you know that they are misdescribing their own thoughts? Like what? What do you mean they're misdescribing their own thoughts? You can't, how can you possibly know that? Well, 
that passage doesn't give an explanation for that. It actually does not yeah. say how they knew that kids were misdescribing their own thoughts or even how they were misdescribing their own thoughts. But the very last question, it's like at the very end of the whole thing, the very last question says basically, why did the researchers use those kids? Yeah. And I, my immediate reaction to that question was, oh, you mean the kids who misdescribed their own thoughts? Mm-hmm. And I looked back in the passage and that was literally the only thing it said about the kids was that they had misdescribed their own thoughts. It just like brings them up and then it leaves them there and that's it. And that was in the very first paragraph. And then now the very last question is asking me about those kids. And the answer to that question is, well, they were uh, misdescribing their own thoughts. <laughs> so it's not actually satisfying. It didn't actually click. Like they didn't really explain that to me, but the mm-hmm. fact that I was curious about it turns out to be the answer to that question. Yeah. So I, I'm, I have to put this one in the turd category, reading the entire passage twice. That seems like you're just giving yourself an excuse for not reading it well the first time. Yeah. Now I would suggest you read it again. If you didn't, if you get to the end and you realize you didn't understand it, otherwise you're just going to go into the answer yeah. choices and start but spending even more time. You can't but afford you need to, to do that, that in the first place. Like it, it's like that, it's like that thing in law school where, I mean, I just have vivid memories of sitting in the law library and like I'm, I'm doing my reading. You can't mm-hmm. see me, Ben, but I'm like doing scare quotes right now in the air about reading because mm-hmm. I was sitting there and it looked like I was reading, but just page after page after page and nothing was going in. You know, it's like almost you wake up in the middle and you go, wait, what? Yeah. Where am I thinking about something else? What am I doing? Like, where am I on the page? And you can't even find your place on the page and you start paging backward and you realize like, Oh shit, I didn't get anything out of the previous page or the previous page before that. Or, Whoa, like I haven't, I've been sitting here for an hour and like nothing has gone in. Well, that's not actually reading. Like you didn't do any good if you did that. So instead of, you know, this tip to read the passage twice is like, Hey, intentionally not understand the first time that doesn't seem helpful to me. Instead, you just have to be reading it actively. You know, you have to be engaged with the content. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, if you can't make a prediction about where the passage is going to go after the first few sentences, then maybe reread those first few sentences and get yourself in a position where you can make a prediction about what you think they're going to say next. If you can't, you're not comprehending. And so then, yeah, you, you need to reread. But I just don't, I don't think you have time to, to read the entire passage. Anything more on that? No. Okay. Another turd for the turd pile. Law school prep courses. Subject. Should I take a law school prep course? Hi, Ben and Nathan. I've heard a few things here and there about law school prep courses. What do you think? Is it worth it for me to take a prep course? If so, what prep course would you recommend? Now I'm going through the application process and will start law school in the fall of 2020. I've heard about some sort of law school prep courses that teach the basics about how law school works and the different methods of teaching, etc., just to get students ready for law school. I was looking for an opinion on these prep classes. I don't know if it's worth the money or not, or what courses are better than others. Ben and Nathan give, whoa, this is, it went into the third person on us. Ben and Nathan give very blunt, honest opinions and don't beat around the bush. So I was hoping to hear their thoughts on it. 
I trust their judgment when it comes to this. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much, Mary. Do you have any of these pre-law classes that you recommend? I do not recommend these pre-law courses. I'm not saying that I am discouraging people from doing them. I'm just saying I never think about, oh, by the way, you're getting accepted to law school. Oh, therefore, I would recommend going and taking this course. Now, maybe that's just because I haven't really thought about it. I do recommend the book Getting to Maybe, How to Excel on Law School Exams All the Time. It was very helpful for me in law school. It's an older book, so maybe there's a newer book out there that's better. But that one seems to hit on some key concepts that was not totally clear to me that were not totally clear to me when I was a one L, but when I read it as a two L, I was like, Oh, this is what law school professors are looking for on their exams. And I found that immensely helpful. I would just step back here for a half second and say, even if a law school prep course is mostly shitty, if you go take one and you have some more (laughs) greater awareness of what you're getting into and what you should be focusing on as you're taking a class, I would consider that potentially valuable and worthwhile given all of the weight that is put on your GPA. So for example, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I buy books on Audible all the time that I do not finish. Now, it's it's a little different because they tend to be cheap. They're anywhere from 10 to 20 bucks. But I'll buy one, I'll start listening to it, and if I don't feel like I'm getting something out of it, then I will buy another one. But my point is is that I'm I'm going through a lot of books to find information because some pieces of information are game changers, life-changing. So when I think about these prep courses, I don't know that you need a prep course, but if it has a lot of good reviews and you get two or three nuggets out of that course that makes your semester, especially your first semester, go substantially easier because you know how to spend your time. Your time is your most valuable asset. So I think that I wouldn't, I guess what I'm saying is I don't encourage people to go to these things because I just don't really think about it that much, but I would not be opposed. Like people need more information and people just need to keep searching for it. And this may or may not be a place to find it, but you never know. It's going to depend on the pro or the teacher as well and how good they are. If you don't have friends or family members who went to law school recently, like you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And you also, most people, if you're like me, you don't have any idea how important, like everybody knows kind of abstractly how important first year grades are, but like you, you're going to be like potentially getting your career job based on your first semester grades. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you're going to be like, second semester, you're going to be interviewing for summer jobs, first summer jobs. And it's only based on your first semester grades. Like you need to get straight A's your first semester. Yeah. If you want that big law job. Yeah. And that summer big law job, uh, that first summer might turn into a second summer job and it might turn into a job offer when you graduate. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like (laughs) 
have your suit ready to go. <laughs> That'd be a good thing to do before law school. Make sure you have a uh, well-fitting suit that you can use for interviews. Mm-hmm. I do think I would maybe check out the law school toolbox, like pre pre-law school class. It's online. I, I trust Allison and Lee, you know, to, to not be like just bullshitting. I think that they would actually have good, like useful stuff to say. I, th- I think I might steer clear of the classes that happen at law schools, mm-hmm. you know, the on-campus ones that are just like $5,000 or whatever. Yeah. Those seem like a, just a money grab to me. That seems that's, that's obnoxious. I can't see how that's going to actually be helpful. Yeah. Because what incentive do they have to give you a leg up on other people at that school? I think they do want their students to succeed. Yeah, right? but right. But if everybody at the school is taking it or if it's I don't know, it just uh, I think I might do something not related, not like from your school. I, I, I can't imagine that those law professors that are teaching that are like actually going to help do anything to help you. I don't know. I could be wrong. See, I'm not opposed as much. It really is going to come down to how price sensitive you are, right? If you're tight on cash, then don't do it. And I think we can recommend a few books here. So one is, I would yeah, say, for sure. maybe how to excel in law school mm-hmm. exams. Two, I would say this website, right? The law school yeah. toolbox. And then three, I would actually suggest it's, it's a little less related to su- succeeding in your actual classes, but get Rachel Gezerse's book, the law yeah. career yeah. playbook and just understand how the game is played because you could be the smartest <laughs> tool in the <laughs> toolbox, but you don't know how to interact with people or to interview or things like that. And all those skills are going to be somewhat, you know, not wasted, but they're not going to be leveraged. Whereas someone who does understand the emotional side of getting a job and reading people and knowing how the game is played are going to do better. So you really want to go in with both skill sets. How do I excel on these exams so I get good grades, but also how do I start looking for a job because that's the ultimate goal. So I would say Rachel Gezerse's book. So at least those three resources, and those are all cheap. I mean, the books are 20 bucks each, and then the website's free. I don't know what she offers, but if you like what she offers on her website, the Law School Toolbox, then, hey, then then it maybe makes sense to yeah. sign up for one of her and courses. And let's not just, we do not need to pay $5,000 for a, like a week class on your campus. Yeah, is that how much and these are? I hope they're I don't know. Much. I think so. I remember seeing one at Hastings that just seemed like this giant money grab. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine that that was going to actually be useful. And that, that's just like an excuse to charge, you know, rich kids. Like it's an excuse to charge your parents like a lot more money for basically nothing. Sure. I mean, I, I can't imagine that it's going to be that helpful. The other thing I might recommend is pay a visit to your law library. Okay. You can go to the law library before school starts. Well, maybe they might not give you your ID yet. Maybe you can't, you know, if you can, you should, you know, go talk to a librarian and ask them about, uh, checking out, um, exams. Yeah. <laughs> Cause if they have all the exams, uh, in the library, you're going to want to look at those. And that's the best thing that you could start looking at is the exams you're going to mm-hmm. be taking at the end of that first semester. Yep. hundred percent. The other thing I would recommend is Maybe get a, like a horn book. I always liked the examples and explanations mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. of books. Mm-hmm. Go pick up examples and explanations for torts and just read it. Yeah. <laughs> Start doing the exercises right now. Read it. 
because it's going to give you really good. You'll actually start learning substantive uh, principles of law that you're guaranteed going to need. You know, you're going to need those not just for your torts class in your first year, but you're also going to need it for the bar eventually. So it's not too soon to start learning uh, that type of stuff. If you and there's different series. But examples and explanations was always the one that I thought was the most fun because it's just like, hey, here's a practical little weird story that happened. And then, you know, here's a multiple choice question about like what the law is going to be in this situation. Yeah. And, you know, just stepping back for a half second, if you read one of those books, which tend to be written in plain English as opposed to your law (laughs) tome, which is going to be written in legalese and jargon and stuff like that. If you read that at the beginning of your torts class or the beginning of your contracts class or the beginning of your property class, you're going to have a big picture sense of where the class is going. And so then you can make more sense of the individual archaic cases that you're reading that week, right? Like I, I remember getting lost in the details of what is the significance of this as opposed to stepping back and just seeing how it's, they're trying to show you the evolution of law over time. Yeah. Also, I mean, do we even have to buy our books at the bookstore? Do we have to buy those? I don't think we do. That's it's, it's too ridiculous, man. Like really a thousand dollars for a semester. Yeah. Great. For books that you're never, ever going to look at again. Yeah. And it's like the 14th edition and you ask your professor, Hey, can I use the 13th edition? Oh, well, no, because there's a new, there's a, there's a, there's been some significant additions to the <laughs> note, to the addenda yeah. at the, you know, it's like bullshit. The, what are you talking about? The same Kate, you're going to start off by studying Blackstone and whatever the Magna Carta and like just a bunch of bullshit from a million years ago. <laughs> like that hasn't changed. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I have a student at Stanford right now who is like, has committed to not buying the books. Like he's just going to go to the library and just like read them at the library or um, go to the library and like scan them. I just, I, I can't see how they can sleep at night charging $400, literally been four or $500 for a book. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's disgusting. I mean, <laughs> anyway, the, you, you're going to have access to LexisNexis and Westlaw. Like when they tell you to read a case, you can find that case online. And yeah, it's got the notes and bullshit in there, but I feel like you can get that from a friend. You need to, you need to like develop, get a consortium of, of buddies in your class and just maybe one buy one book for like 10 of you Mm -hmm. and photocopy that shit and send it around to uh, to each other. Cause like you (laughs) people with their rolling suitcase, Ben, the roll, you know, the rolling backpack full of books. Mm-hmm. That's so dumb. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> As if that's what a lawyer does. Like walks around with books, like law books. <laughs> Hopefully they can oh start God. putting these, these on your phone or something. That would be awesome. It's just, yeah. It, it, well, whatever. There's just this like big industry of, you know, they're, they're clearly trying to enrich each other. All the law professors are trying to enrich each other by requiring that you buy the recent edition of their, you know, their book or their buddy's book. And cause there's just, it's like, there's absolutely no reason why you can't use an older edition or 
<laughs> anyway. Yeah. Should we move on? Yeah. All right. This is an update from a Chapman 2L. You want to read it? Sure. Hello, Ben and Nathan. I used to be an avid listener of your podcast while I was applying to law school. Now as a 2L, I don't have time to tune in, but I appreciate mm. everything you do for your listeners. Hmm? You said hmm? I think that this list, this they could make time. <laughs> Shame on you for not tuning in after you're in law school. You two taught me one of the most valuable lessons I have ever received in my life. Don't pay for law school. Uh, I bet there's going to be some more valuable lessons than that, but that's, that's good. That's, that's one of them. It's a big one. It's a big one. I wrote into you guys prior to this. Oh, here's another one for you. Don't ever use the phrase prior to. Mm. Just replace it with before. Mm-hmm. I wrote into you guys before the February 2018 LSAT. I have an undergrad GPA of 3.67 and scored a 157 on my December LSAT. Hmm. I wonder where this is going since he's a 2L. I was wondering if I should take the LSAT in February of 2018 and wait to apply until the 2019 cycle. What is going on here? Is this... They're going back in time to give us the oh, update okay. of how it all worked out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or if I should go forward with 100% tuition merit scholarship from Chapman University. The only downside to the scholarship was that I needed to maintain a 2.9 GPA and the law school sets their mandatory 1L curve at 2.8. Okay. As much as I respect you guys, I didn't take your advice. I took the February LSAT anyways, scored the same score as my December LSAT, which was a total bummer, and I took the offer from Chapman. However, I did take your advice regarding my experience at Chapman. You told me something along the lines of, I needed to make sure I kept my conditional scholarship, obviously don't pay for law school, and if I wanted to work in big law, that from coming to a low-ranked law school, I would need to be at the top of my class. So I did my best, I busted my butt, got great grades, and worked for a federal judge during my 1L summer. Now as a 2L, I am working for a state court judge, will be working with a federal judge in the spring, and accepted a post-bar federal judicial clerkship. Yay. Although I don't have a 2L summer associate big law job locked down, I wanted to write into you guys to show your listeners that you can do what I did and not pay for law school with a 157 LSAT score. Go to a low-ranked school, keep your conditional scholarship, and end up securing a federal clerkship. Listeners, use your resources. You've started in a great place by listening to Ben and Nathan. You can do anything you set your mind to as long as you have the right mental space and resources at your fingertips. Well, thank you. Thank you for all your help. I would be in quite a considerable considerable amount of debt at mid, at a mid-ranked law school if it were not for you two. Best regards, former writer. Cool. That's nice. Yeah. Thanks for the update. Thanks for the thanks. And I hope that's helpful for some people. Yeah. I mean, this, this person could easily have ended up paying full price at Hastings. Mm -hmm. And what would Hastings have done for him or her that Chapman has not? Yeah. In fact, if it's a higher ranked school, you might end up not being in the top of your class and then probably not doing any of these clerkships. Yeah. I, I don't think you're getting a federal clerkship out of Hastings if you're not doing well. Yeah. I mean, you know, so 
this person ended up being a, a big fish in a small pond and, um, you know, Chapman's not horrible. I mean, 25th percentile GPA is 3.17. 75th percentile GPA is 3.56. Mm-hmm. Uh, LSAT range goes from 154 to 158. So, you know, lots of these people are going to come out and like fail the California bar exam. But if you go there and you kick ass and you're able to keep your scholarship, I mean, it's, you know, the, the class here, 491 students in the school and, uh, over half of them are getting scholarships, uh, in 2017, 2018, 116 people entered the school with scholarships and 50 of those were either reduced or eliminated. So you've got about a 50, 50 shot of, uh, retaining your scholarship. If you don't retain your scholarship, you can just drop out because you're not doing well anyway. If you do retain your scholarship, then you're going to law school for free and it's awesome. Yeah. Like <laughs> you kick ass and you get all the best opportunities that a school like this has to offer. I like how former writer went into Chapman with his or her eyes wide open. Yeah. And knew the yeah. name of the game. Like how many people get a full ride and are like, sweet. And then they just go in and they start doing classes as opposed to, you know, having that a little bit of fear <laughs> in your gut saying, if I don't, if I don't get my act together, I might lose this money. Yeah. I mean, you need to have your eyes open like right now, right? Like, listen, if you don't get an LSAT score, that's going to get you a scholarship to law school. It's probably going to be a losing game for you. So you probably shouldn't play. If you do get an LSAT score that gets you a scholarship, a conditional scholarship to a school like Chapman, you should just recognize that, okay, this is still sort of dicey. Mm -hmm. I need to keep this scholarship or else I need to drop out. Yeah, because I am not paying for law school. So if I, if you go your first semester and you're not able to keep up the the good grades that are required in order to keep that scholarship, that is a clear sign that this is not the right field for you. Like you're either not working hard enough, or you're not a good enough writer, or whatever. It's just like don't keep th- you know don't don't just like oh well I've gone for a year so I should go for two more years and pay a hundred thousand dollars. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm all in favor of people going to Golden Gate and Southwestern and Chapman if you can keep that conditional scholarship. Yeah. If and only if. Ready for the next one? Yeah. Cool. I love emails like that, don't you? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes me feel like I'm actually doing something good for the world. (laughs) Instead of just helping people fight fight over money. I don't know. I, I, I get depressed sometimes about like being in the LSAT game because I just don't know that I'm like actually helping anybody, but it is nice to hear from people who at least got, you know, free law school out of it, took our advice and got free law school. That, that, that makes me happy. Yeah. All right. We have an email here from Maine law. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Maine law. Here's the subject. Maine law colon Yes, life is good here, exclamation point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that already is funny because it's like it's like protesting too much, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, it doesn't suck here, for real. We promise. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it says, dear Javen, uh, Javen's a student of mine in LA, it says, As you think about law school, I encourage you to think about the University of Maine School of Law. 
<laughs> That's a overly wordy sentence. Mm-hmm. Less than two hours from Boston and under six hours from New York City. Maine Law is located in the waterfront city of Portland, a welcoming, artisanal, artisanal, foodie community. Wait a second. Can a community be artisanal? Well, I'm not 100% sure what that means. Does that mean like artist oriented? Yeah, I'm hold on. I have to look up artisanal now. Oh, relating Someone relating to thesaurus to try to win students over. <laughs> relating to or characteristic of an artisan. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. I've never heard it used to refer to a city describing a city as artisanal or a community as artisanal. Okay, I anyway. You've ever been to Portland, Maine? No. Okay, it is rad. I like it. Portland, Maine is cool. Okay. Yes, it is It is a good town, although it's <laughs> two hours north of Boston. It's freezing up there. And, you know, but it is on the waterfront and it's like, yeah, it's one of the best places in, in Maine. It, it is definitely a cool town. It's just like, boy, winter is like solid six months. Hmm. Anyway. Okay. So cold. So they should have said a welcoming artisanal foodie Frozen. Frozen tundra. Yeah. <laughs> tundra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might see Santa Claus while you're here, but um yeah, I don't know. Okay. Here's what others this is the this is the hilarious part. Oh my okay. gosh. What are these people? Here's doing? what others say about Portland. Bon Appetit magazine says Portland, Maine is the twenty eighteen restaurant city of the year. <laughs> what? Condi Nast Traveler says how Portland, Maine keeps getting cooler. In the last few years, as the city's various industrial no-man's lands have given way to breweries, speakeasies, concert venues, and upscale boutiques, Portland, Maine has become New England at its prime. Innovation without altered skyline. Urban culture without the traffic jams. Seaside charm with all the lobster and only some of the knickknacks. Best part is, you can do it all on foot. Okay. (laughs) New York Times says... There's more to this maritime city than great food, gracious parks, Victorian architecture, and a thriving arts scene. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, Huffington oh Post this says, is the more. I thought they were saying there is more to this city than... Than great food. Yeah, yeah there's also a great... Oh, I missed the colon. Yeah, the colon. Yeah, okay, okay. I was yeah. getting ready for... What? Sorry. What is, what is the what more? What else is there? Please tell us. Well, Huffington Post says that it's the it's in the top thirteen greatest destination food towns in America. There's a theme here. This place is a- Outside Magazine says it's in the twenty five best towns of twenty seventeen. Towns, okay. Uh, then, then Carrie, the uh, associate dean for admissions at University of Maine, continues. She says Portland is a phenomenal city to spend the next three or thirty years. Just minutes from Maine Law, you will find amazing restaurants, galleries, microbreweries, museums, and theaters. And the city is home to a vibrant and growing multicultural population with more than 60 languages spoken by students in the Portland Public School District. That's a weird fact to throw in there. <laughs> for, like, what? What does that have to do with anything? For outdoor enthusiasts, Maine is a four-season destination boasting endless adventures, whether your preference is skiing or sailing or hiking and biking. <laughs> skiing, skiing or sailing. 
10 months of the year. Hiking or biking, two months of the year. <laughs> no, skiing, 10 months of the year. Yeah. Sailing, hiking, and biking, two months of the year. <laughs> so when you are considering where you want to make your home for law school and maybe beyond, take a look at Portland, Maine. This is Portland, Maine. We're talking about not Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Portland, Maine. Yes, life is good here. Exclamation point. Very truly yours, Carrie. Ah, she sounds like a delight. I, <laughs> it's just funny to see these law schools marketing themselves. It just makes me laugh. I don't know. Oh, I it's give them just, props for trying. This is, I mean, this yeah, is going to, totally. you know, this it actually makes it, you know, it's a factor. And sometimes people make factor or decisions based on emotional factors. That are, <laughs> based on reasons that they absolutely should not consider <laughs> when they're thinking about law school. Like really that Bon Appetit calls it the restaurant city of the year. That's like going to sway you where you're going to like start your legal career. I, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. It, it it really is a nice town. I, I give them that. Like, it's a cool town to visit. I would love to go visit Portland, Maine. I don't think I would like to spend three winters in Portland, Maine. So I really like Carrie, but I don't like the fact that she's signed her name with Esquire. I just can't get no, over Esquire. Yeah, I know. I wish people it's would so stop. Dumb. I know. It is so dumb. What does that even mean? I don't know. She's not practicing. Esquire. Is she? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think she's practicing if she's the associate. I mean, she's selling law school. That's yeah. what she's doing. Yeah. She's not esquiring anything. She's just putting <laughs> esquire on her name. It's a verb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. What the hell is it? Did what you is this even? Today? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Cool. Okay. Let's see. We have a personal statement. Okay. Sweet. Hi. Are you ready to do this? Yeah. Hi, Nathan and Ben, exclamation point. I've been listening to the podcasts for the past few months and wanted to thank you all for the great content, exclamation point. Oh, Mary, you're excited. I would yeah. like to submit my personal statement for you to tear apart. It is a bit more on the narrative side. I noticed you don't often have that style on the show, which has me worried. Oh, boy. I'm worried. <laughs> Although, I'm actually happy that she's worried it's when people are have true. no sense of like true fear. when They're people like, are like i think this is ready to submit <laughs> it's like okay I, i've taken your advice fully and i'm ready to submit this to law schools but i just want you guys to give it your thumbs up your final <laughs> it's like oh god your final look over and it's like okay <laughs> none of this is good a bit about me as an applicant comma hmm I graduated from undergrad in three years in 2016 with a 3.38, not yet converted to LSAC GPA. I had a job while in school. I've spent the past few years working on campaigns for a union and briefly, briefly freelancing for myself. I have also held a leadership position in a young professional organization, and I was a co-founder of a political club in college. I left my 9-to-5 job to study and, ex and to explore some volunteering slash interning in the legal world. Hmm. Choose one. I have a 164 on record and will be taking the test again in September and probably October. The average of my last five prep tests is a 169 and I've had three 171s. I do plan on writing a diversity statement about growing up as a single mom. Oh, sorry. With a single mom. She <laughs> sorry, did not grow Mary. Up as a single mom. That would Whoa. be diverse. Mm -hmm. Okay. With a single mom and some abuse that took place. Ooh. Okay. Got to be careful there. I am also biracial and bisexual. And while I obviously marked it, I don't plan to highlight this through any statements. 
I have three letters of rec from a professor, a work supervisor, and a supervising attorney. Okay. I currently live in Southern California, and I am hoping to go to law school near here. I'll be applying to most of the schools in the area, but Loyola, why can't I say this? Can you say that for me really quick? Loyola. 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 Yeah. Why? So. Loyola. mm, Okay. I have problems with words. It sounded out, Ben. I can't sound out words. Haven't I told you that? I just memorized them. (laughs) I'm serious. I have like a, this is a problem I had when I was a kid, but now I can't figure it out. Anyways, Marymount is my current top realistic choice that, that'll offer me enough aid to comfortably pursue PI post law school. Personal injury. Okay. I guess so. Private investigation. Yeah. Interesting. Who, who wants to pursue personal injury? I don't know. I thought that the only people who did personal injury were the ones who like go to the really shitty law schools and then put a billboard up. And they're like, oh, damn, I got to make use of my law degree. And this is what people want to pay for. Okay. Yeah, that's strange. I mean, she has a pretty damn good LSAT score. Uh, Why personal injury? Maybe she flipped the letters and she meant IP. (laughs) Oh, it could be typo. I don't know. That seems like a strange typo to make. It does. All right. She has a PS. She says, thanks again, Mary. Pseudonym, by the way. PS, I also talked to UCLA recently. An admissions officer there informed me that if I do end up scoring above a 170 because of my 164, I should write an LSAT addendum. Oh, great. I found this surprising and thought your listeners might find it helpful. Yeah, you just say, thanks. I knew I could do better. Yeah. What else Dear do UCLA... You asked me to write an addendum to explain why I took the LSAT again and got a higher score. The reason why I took it again and got a higher score is that I knew I could get a higher score. So I took it again. Best regards. Best regards. Mary, future Esquire. Future Esquire. I don't know. Why do schools give a shit? What do they, I don't understand I what don't they're. No, They want you. You know, Yeah. I have, I just have a, I have a hypothesis. Go for it. What if they're doing it to see if you are stupid enough mm. to slip up and tell them that you got accommodations? Oh, or a whole host of things, right? Like when people start whining, oh, I was taking the test and the proctor looked at me funny. And you're like, that's your excuse for getting a 164? I don't know. Maybe it's just a character test or a personal responsibility test. Because when when people do ask about these addendums all the time, they they're sending us emails and they're writing excuses, right? That just sounds stupid. Just like don't don't talk about any of that. Just say, "Yep, I didn't do as well as I could have. Take responsibility, and I knew I could do better." Solution, problem, solution. It's the best way to live. Yeah, and if they, I mean, I I have never heard of them like pushing back or like re, you know, hey, but but why though? Like I've never, not <laughs> once, have I heard, like. <laughs> When you just say, I, it's like, I don't know. It's just scoreboard. Like I did better. I took it again. I did better. Yeah. I knew I could do better. I took it again. Yep. What do you want? I can see people I have, cause I've heard this. I mean, I had people in my class in San Francisco over the weekend asking me if they should acknowledge, like they want to write their personal statement about getting accommodations oh, geez. or about, you know, about like learning differences or whatever. And I'm like, absolutely not. Don't write any of, do not acknowledge any of that shit in your application. If you're accommodated, they, you know, the LSAC can't tell them that you're accommodated. 
But if they knew you were accommodated, then they're going to like not think of your LSAT. They're not going to think of your ability as highly. So don't tell them that. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I think this is like letters of rec. It's your thing to fail, not your thing to succeed. You're not going to get any points for what you say, but you could lose points. Yeah. Cause you could just say something dumb. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's her statement. Oh, ooh, it's got some redacted words. Interesting. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> looks very formal. Will you? Uh, what if it's a, she submitted it like that? That'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm a classified government agent. Don't ask why I. <laughs> That's basically those what Ezra did when he put the Chinese hieroglyphics in his personal statement. <laughs> Look, I can understand one slip up with those Chinese hieroglyphics. It's like, oh, you're trying to show us that you know this other language, but you did it like eight times or something. That's so ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know what episode that was, but if you haven't heard it, go find the man with kind eyes. Just Google the man with the kind eyes. Yeah. LSAT. I'm sure it'll come right up. You want to read this? Sure. Okay. I hate it. Oh my God. Okay. Here we go. Holding the phone to her ear. The intern next to me began to cry. Okay. It's got to move to you really fast here because you're talking about other people, not you. That's also a bad sentence. Like the holding the phone to her ear, comma, the intern next to me began to cry. Wait, what do you not like about it? Like it's grammatically correct. Yeah, it just feels weird. It's like... Maybe because it's starting with this dangling modifier? Yeah, that's what I don't... I don't like the starting with that comma clause. Mm-hmm. Like, she's on the phone and crying. So what? I don't know. It's like too dramatic. It's too like... It's that's going with that cinematic opening. Mm-hmm. Anyway, before I could react, she pressed hold and handed me the phone to take over. You could cut the to take over. She handed me the phone. Okay. The caller was a victim of domestic violence looking for help. Period. And that's the end of the first paragraph. Hmm. Okay. So three sentences in, I have learned about you that you have worked in some sort of a crisis center, maybe, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're being, you know, this is totally passive here, though, because all you're doing is taking a call. So you're not like fixing anything. Yep. We haven't seen you doing anything yet. Yeah. We, there's no, you're not. And it's not, I don't know that it's even a problem to be solved, really. Like it's, it's kind of like plight of the downtrodden. Well, it's interesting because it's like action, action. You know, the intern's crying, then she's taking the phone, and then it goes into this descriptive tone. The caller was a victim of domestic violence. We just have to accept that. We don't. That's passive construction, by the way, with was, yeah, you know, was a victim of domestic violence. So you're just, you're telling me it's just, you know, there's not action. You're just telling me who this caller was, but the caller's not you. Yeah. And this caller's not coming to my law school. 
you're coming to my law school. So I, yeah, you, you better, this needs to flip real quick into what action did you take? Yep. Okay. Three months into my internship in Senator Elizabeth Warren's office, I expected heartbreaking calls. Wait, why? But this woman's story stood out. She called us not for help with her abuser, but because she was denied a federal subsidy. Although after weeks of trying, I was forced to inform her we couldn't help, the woman's display of simultaneous strength and vulnerability still solidified my commitment to public service. Okay. So let me get this straight. You worked in Senator Elizabeth Warren's office and the something about this woman motivated you to continue working in public service. It's still, but you couldn't help. Yeah. And you're just telling us that the woman displays strength, but why am I, what, what, what do you mean? She called crying. That's the only thing I know about her. She called crying because she was denied a federal subsidy. She's been abused. It's sad. I feel sorry for the woman, but now you're telling me that she displayed strength, but I don't know how she did that. And you couldn't help her. So you're not, you know, you're not showing me that you like kicked ass and won. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Basically the point of these first two paragraphs is at least one of the experiences you had while interning for Senator Warren reinforced your commitment to public service. But it's purely telling. It's purely telling. It's passive in the sense that something happened to you and that helped you double down as opposed to you doing something. I mean, you are taking the call, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Let's see where this is going, I guess. Yeah. I, it's kind of like name droppy with the, with like bringing up this, this internship with Senator Warren. I mean, that's on your resume already. I don't know. Like I'm not getting new information that you worked with her or at her office. It's an internship. You're taking a phone call. I don't know. It's not like I'm just, I'm picturing you as very young and you haven't done, you haven't like, this is just doesn't feel like you're putting your best foot forward here. Cause I don't see you as a killer. Like I'm not seeing you as a winner. I'm not seeing you identifying a problem and fixing the problem. Yep. Okay. It's not badly written. So we got that going for us at least. After the internship, I pushed myself to graduate early with a presidential election approaching campaign jobs were abundant. And that's where I found a career, which I believed would serve the public's interest. Hey, look, I strongly oppose pretty much everyone who's young and applying to law school to use the word career. It's, Mm. it's an overselling word. You, You don't, you don't have a career. You, you've had a few jobs that are related and even if it is a career, it's better to present it as jobs and for them to conclude, wow, this seems to be something you've become really good at as opposed yeah. to presenting it as, look, this is my illustrious career and now I'm going to make a new career in law. It's like, it just, to me, it always comes across as overselling yeah. unless you actually have been doing this for 10 years. I, I don't think you can. Right. And in that case, if you have been doing it for 10 years, then I want to hear about something that you kicked ass on. Like I want to hear about your achievements in your career. 
not just you claiming to have a career. Yep. Okay. I went on to work with over a dozen campaigns in various roles, which included managing multi-million dollar budgets and crafting communications plans that distilled down complex issues such as public school funding formulas and nuclear waste damage. All telling. Yeah. You got to show that Mary, you show us, you know, you could write your whole personal statement about your communication strategy for public school funding formulas for one candidate for one candidate. Yep. Or, Hey, here's what happened with nuclear waste. There was this nuclear waste issue happened and we had to communicate it to our constituents. And here's what that looked like. Yeah. I would love to see that and not you just, this is so high level. It's like, this is a pretty common flaw actually that she's just trying to kind of rehash her whole story, her whole resume. Yeah. I hate this. Unfortunately, three years later, I realized my colleagues weren't respecting voters. Now you're pointing the finger at other people. It doesn't even matter if it's true. Yeah. I hate this. This just makes you sound like a problem. Yeah. Like it makes you, it makes you sound like a complainer instead of a doer. Three years later, I realized my colleagues weren't respecting voters and rarely thought of constituents at all. The fantasy that I was a public servant crumbled. I kept thinking back to that caller from my internship. My colleagues didn't work for people like her, and I realized neither did I. Real common mistake, Ben, to to write about shit that didn't work. Yeah. You know, stuff you didn't like, stuff you stuff that you thought was going to work out but didn't. It just comes off as complaining. And it, it, it also comes off as like, yeah, you're just, it doesn't look like you're doing well. It, it looks like failing. It looks like you're just struggling to find your way in the world. And that, that's not what, you know, they're looking for <laughs> happy go-getting winners, I like the fact that she, the one thing here I like is that she's taking responsibility, but I'd like her to do a lot more of that. In other words, if you are going to write about a failure, it needs to be a hundred percent focused on your mistakes, not the mistakes of others. And then you need to quickly move into how you solve the problem. And the rest of the statement needs to be you succeeding. Yeah. I'm okay with with talking about a failure if it's short and it has a purpose of explaining or leading us into the solution. Otherwise, to, yeah, don't right. don't uh don't talk about it. Yeah, get to the winning part. Like get get it's okay. You can give me a sentence or two about how something didn't work out, but you better fix it in the next sentence. Cuz otherwise it's just like it's just like wah, wah, everything's shitty. Yeah. And you have to take 100% responsibility. Like this, this just sounds like you're like, oh, I'm failing because everybody else is failing. That's a high level accusation too, man. Yeah, really? Like I, how many after colleagues were respecting voters? What does that even mean? Yeah, what is, totally. What does that mean? Damn. Like, is, wait, does that apply to Senator Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> She's the only colleague that you've mentioned in this piece. Yeah. And, you know, is she not a public servant? Are you, are you, are you actually specifically talking about her or one of these other dozen campaigns that you worked on? 
Are you talking about all of them? Is it true that all of them don't respect voters and don't think of constituents at all? <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Or rarely. <laughs> you're, you're like burning down all of our elected officials. I don't know. Like law school is really political. Like you should probably like politicians if you're going to go to law school. I don't know. Anyway. Around the same time, a friend took a job as an attorney to investigate Title IX violations. The work intrigued me and motivated me to speak with other attorneys. That's telling. It's not about you. You're not doing the job. Your friend took a job. And then you got motivated to speak with other attorneys. I don't... Hmm. I just cut that and just start with this. I started volunteering at a community yeah. legal aid to say, yeah, anyways, yeah. Yeah. Why does it matter that your friend took this job and you, yeah, you were intrigued. I mean, we, we can assume that if you did a thing at some point prior to that thing, you got interested in that thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that. Yeah. It's like too much lead up yep. to what you actually did. <laughs> the, so the here's what she actually uh, did. Example. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I started volunteering at community legal aid blank. I guess that must be a city where I interviewed clients who were looking for legal assistance on issues such as evictions, divorces, and restraining orders. Okay. So you're volunteering now. I imagine this is on the resume as well. Okay. And it's a list of things like instead of one thing, it's a list of things, which I don't like. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Before long, the attorneys were having me do their initial research and writing for the advice they gave to clients. Isn't it? That's like too high level, isn't it, Ben? Like, yeah, I'd like to hear one of about one of these instances. Anyway. Yeah. If you, and you don't need to say this. I think this is, again, this is probably my fault from long ago saying, oh, it's nice that they showed that you were promoted. But before long, the attorneys were having me do their initial research. She's like trying to emphasize, look, they saw my skills and they, they advanced me. Just say you did Mm -hmm. did this. Like when we're Mm -hmm. editing those personal statements, I'm constantly cutting out little introductory phrases and sentences Mm -hmm. and just saying, I did this, I did Mm -hmm. that. And it's like, if you say... Even if you wanted to say, you know, after a couple months, I started doing research and writing. Obviously, someone asked you to do that. But here it it feels like you're trying to emphasize, look, they asked me to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little over overselling the promotion aspect. Yeah. To learn more about the legal profession, I began interning with the redacted public defender's office. My first project was to read through more than 700 pages of court documents and summarize it for my supervising attorney. Mm. That's a bad it there. Yeah. Them? (laughs) Yeah. Also, what do you think of more than 700? (laughs) I don't understand. I don't see how that's impressive. No, that's really not. It's this is also so vague. Like, what? What do you? Seven hundred pages of court documents on what? 
Yeah. As the page counts increased and the writing assignments rolled in, so did my interest in the clients. That is a broken sentence, Mary. Did your interest, I think you meant your interest increased, but you threw in there the writing assignments rolled in. (laughs) So now did your interest roll in? Yep. My interest in the clients rolled in. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) This is very vague. Like, I don't know what you're actually doing. And you're telling me that your interest in the clients is increasing, but I don't care. Like, I want to know what you did. This is like she's telling us how she feels instead of telling us what she did. Yep. The convoluted layers on which a defendant's fate rested was surprisingly open to error and sometimes outright flawed. They, I like have, I have to just guess. I'm like, uh, okay, so there is some ambiguities in the facts and in the law. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, the convoluted layers on which a defendant's fate rested. <laughs> Layers of what? <laughs> layers of facts? Layers of law? Layers... I don't even know what layers of facts are. Many facts? This is... It's it's like uh, unbelievably vague. It, it's like we know that law is complicated. We understand that there's possible errors that are made all the time. We understand that the system is kind of fucked up. What, Mary, Mary, what did you do about it? Yeah. Any hesitance I had working for those accused of crimes dissipated. Hmm? You know, she's like, she's sort of, she's feeling defensive here. Like, Hey, if I, if I work in the public defender's office, I'm going to basically be defending people who, you know, did it. Criminals. Yep. Which you are like 95% of the time, 99% of the time, (laughs) like they did it. Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. A lot. Come on. They're not bringing cases that often (laughs) where the people didn't do it, but I don't that's your job, Mary. And, and everybody understands that there's a constitutional role to be played. I actually would rather you do have some hesitation. And I think you should say hesitation there, not hesitance, but maybe you shouldn't say that at all because again, it's just talking about your feelings. I, I we yeah. don't really care. Like you went and got a job here. You worked on some challenging case. What happened? You had to do this. There was a challenge with finding, was showing that this defendant maybe was guilty, but not uh, as much as the prosecutor was seeking, right? Yeah, they did this crime, but there were mitigating circumstances and those weren't being discussed or laid out and we had to go find them and I helped unpack them or I have no idea. I don't know what you do in this job, but that's what I'd like to know. I'd like you to see you in your role doing something that solves a problem. Yeah. This is just, it's a lot of whining. I mean, I'm sorry, Mary. I don't, I know you're not intending to whine, but it comes off as whining. She goes on. I thought back to the woman on the phone and while she was in a very different situation than our clients, she had a similar experience with a failed system. Oh, geez. 
Like this is you're just taking your bazooka and blowing everybody up. Yeah. No one respects mm-hmm. the voters. The system's failed. Nothing's happening. Yeah, there are a lot of problems with the system, but let's focus on what we do and what we can do and how we can solve it. Yeah. This is an analogy to, I mean, you're in the public defender's office now and you're making an analogy to a woman who was calling her Senator because she didn't get some program. And there's always two sides to every story. Right. It's just right. This is like, this is high level whining. This is like the light of the downtrodden, the systems are all fucked. Everybody's all fucked. <laughs> but like, you're not doing anything about it. You're just whining about it. Or, and like these platitudes. I mean, check this out. People interact with policy every day. <laughs> it does not tell us anything about you. People can put that into any statement. The hell does that even mean? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even, that's not even true. What do you mean people interact with policy every day? I don't. <laughs> Hey, you drive, right? There you, somebody no. decided, oh, you don't. You, you, uh, <laughs> what are you doing, Nathan? You buy food that's been, I don't know, but that's interacting with, with policy. <laughs> I'm not like getting the statutes out about the road, the road, <laughs> you know. I, I think whatever. she means the loose definition of interact, like oh, you encounter okay, so people what you're saying encounter. Is it's a meaningless platitude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> When they hit a roadblock? Ooh, yeah. I don't know about this. When they hit a roadblock, they don't lobby their legislators or head to the ballot box. M dash. They call a lawyer. What? This is that thing that people like to do at the end of their personal statement where they talk about how cool lawyers are. Oh, my God. You know how important lawyers are. You know are. what happens when they hit a roadblock? They don't lobby their legislators or head to the ballot box. They do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which it sounds like that's what Mary has done. I mean, I know, I know you've done things, Mary, but you're not telling me about them and you need to be telling me about them. You know, like it's just, you're not, this is going nowhere. I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm very curious, actually, Mary, if you've interacted with policy, hit a roadblock and then call the lawyer. Yeah. Or does she just mean certain people interact with policy every day? The downtrodden, maybe, who need policy more. I don't know what she means. Okay. Last paragraph. My time working on campaigns was formative. Oh, dear God. Just stop right That's there. That's telling. Yep. Okay. And enlightening and growing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even with the flaws, I believe I had a positive impact. I, you got to show me that you had a positive impact because, Mary, based on this personal statement, it looks like you didn't do shit. Sorry. I hate to break it to you. But in this personal statement, you did nothing. So it's not that you did nothing in real life. It's that you're showing me nothing in this personal statement. But can we pause for a half second? I'm trying to imagine myself in Mary's position right now, listening to this being publicly broadcast to thousands of listeners. I hope that it sounds like if you had the fortitude to send this in, you're able and willing to take this feedback. But um, I commend you. This is, it's tough to hear this, but this is, this is not what you want to submit. No, this is not close to what you want to submit. We need more sentences that start with the word I, and we need more sentences that say, I did this. I did that. I wrote this. I created this. 
I, you know, saw this problem and I fixed it. Mm -hmm. Not just, Oh, I saw this problem and I left that job and I saw this other thing and I left that. And boy, these people are just not respecting the voters and it, what? Okay. And, and, and like, stop, nobody can, please don't talk about your feelings or like, I, I think that I don't care what you think. I care what you have done about it. Yep. So, you know, I believe I had a positive impact. That's great. I, I'm glad you have good self-esteem, but you're a complete stranger to me reading this personal statement. I'm trying to figure out whether you're going to kick ass at my law school, go get a job as a lawyer, be a badass, make a lot of money, donate money back to the school, raise the prestige of my law school. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you think you had a positive impact doesn't move the needle. Not even one tiny, not one percent. Even well, actually, it probably moves it back. Really? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I'd much rather you acknowledge, you know, <laughs> that things are hard. Maybe, but I like you. You you have to show me that you did something. Mm -hmm. Last sentence says, "Still, so even though I believe I had a positive impact, still." I don't want my career to be so far removed from the people who inspired my initial commitment to public service, period. Huh? Again, just a vague like reference to people we don't know. Maybe, I mean, they obviously include that one woman who called. <sighs> and I don't even know what this I means. I actually don't even know that. I don't know that that's, I mean, she was already working in Senator Warren's office when that woman called. So I don't think that woman inspired her initial commitment to not her initial service. commitment she just helped her double down her commitment yeah i don't know i honestly don't know what mary's talking about nope there's lots of things here that i would i would like to learn about i think i'd love to hear about your life in the public defender's office i'd love to hear what you actually do there the only thing i know that you've done is you've read through more than 700 pages <laughs> Well, that's the fact that she gave me, Yep. you know, and like, okay, that's yeah. But then what did you do? You read, you read through it and you summarized it. Okay. I think she's trying, she's trying to follow the advice yeah. that we gave to like, tell us what you do. So she says that she read these pages, but then she immediately slips back into telling as the page counts increased and the writing assignments rolled in. So did my interest in the clients. Like I just have yeah, to sit here care. and believe you like, Oh, Oh, what else happened? Right. And then I decided that I'm really committed to public service. Oh, okay. Like, uh, just tell us what you did. You read these pages. What did you have to do to summarize them? What, what were they about? I don't even Pick know. One this, client yeah. with one difficult issue where you went above and beyond with your research or with your writing or whatever. Yeah. You know, find one problem that you solved and just show me you in the office kicking ass. And I, I swear to God, this can be reorganizing the filing system in the office. I would be perfectly happy with that. Yeah. I mean, one thing you just said, Nathan, you said when you're where you went above and beyond. And I think that's helpful, but it doesn't, that's not necessary. Like you could just be doing your job yeah. well. And the nature of your job is interesting and challenging and has challenges and we see you doing those things and solving them. And even if that's just what's expected of you, you did it. Think about how many people don't 
have a job at a public defender's office or face these challenges or work through them or solve them. So, hmm. yeah, this goes, this has way too many different things in it. Like you're in Elizabeth Warren's office, then you're doing dozens of other campaigns, then you're volunteering for community legal aid, then you're interning with the public defender's office. I would tell me if I'm wrong, Ben, but I think I would encourage Mary to pick something as recent as possible because it just like, this is, it's sounding like, like kid, like she graduated from school in 2016. So she's been out of school now for a few years. I'd rather hear about a, about a work experience, something as recent as possible because it'll make you sound like an adult, like internships uh, makes you sound like a college kid. Yeah. Uh, although did she have a job? All I hear is into, I don't know. Has she been working for three years? Is this all just volunteer stuff and internships and stuff? Well, I guess she was working on the campaigns. I don't know. Oh, right. But then she volunteered or she interned. I mean, one thing about internships is you don't have to say that you interned. Yeah. You could totally. just say last summer I was working at, at the, the public, public defender's, defender's office. office I yeah, sorted totally. documents, blah, blah, blah. They don't need to know your title. And look, this is a common way that personal statements can start out strong. And you might edit it and tweak it a little bit, but you can just say last summer, last year, this year, comma, I helped, or I don't like the word help necessarily, but I built a filing system for the public defender's office in blah, blah, blah. Or even like present tense, every day at work, comma, I, hmm. and then just like say what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that Mary referred to this as a narrative style. She said that it's unusual that we have a narrative style on the, on our, on the personal oh, statements. She's we read like on the telling show. a story from Elizabeth Warren's office to today. Very high level story. Yeah. Narrative in the sense that she's kind of like trying to give the arc, like the overall, just it's the, I don't know. I, if she describes this as narrative, I describe it as like just kind of randomly listing everything from your resume. Yeah. I mean, cause like what we have here is a bunch of different jobs and title, like, you know, like intern volunteer, whatever at, at this place, at this place, at this place. Is that what she means by narrative? I, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I want to hear, I think you need to pick one of these things and just go deeper into it and tell me what it looks like when you're actually doing the work. Yeah. You know, what do you think about her claim in the one, two, three, third paragraph? She claims that she managed multi-million dollar budgets. Oh my gosh. Like talk about that. Yeah. Is that real? <laughs> Yeah. What is it? it doesn't sound real when you put all this other stuff in here. It doesn't sound like you did that at all. It doesn't sound like you did it at all when that's what you say too and leave it at that. Oh, I managed a multi-million dollar budget. Really? Okay. Or did someone else do that and you happen to be mildly associated with that? <laughs> yeah. That does seem like the most promising area though. I I want to hear about those man Man, what boy, you could write your whole two pages about managing a multi-million dollar budget. Sure. Hell yeah, you or could. Or crafting a communications plan. 
gosh, yeah, how totally. difficult is that? Yeah. I think this is, yeah, this paragraph right here, first of all, it's a job. And second of all, it's, it sounds I like agree. you did some serious stuff. So, and yeah. And then I'm sorry, Mary, even if it's true that you like hate all politicians or you think no politicians are, you know, they're disrespecting the voters and they're not service serving their constituents or whatever. Even if you think that's true, leave that out and just like talk about it as if it was a win. <laughs> just talk about it as like, Hey, I, I managed these budgets and this is what happened and just leave it positive. Well, partly we leave it out because the, it's not true. And I don't know if what you meant. Yeah. It's, I don't know if you meant all politicians, but you said my colleagues, she had dozens of jobs. I'm sure some of them did, but just, just leave. Yeah. Just, just focus on what you did. Or dozens of campaigns. I think she said, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, the bazooka. I mean, they're just blowing up the whole, the whole world. Oh, over a dozen campaigns in various roles. Yeah. I want to hear about one of those roles and I want to hear about you being good at your job. Yep. And just keep it positive. It, I don't care. It's, it's like, it's totally fine. If you hated all these people and you think the whole thing is miserable, that's fine. But just like, tell me about you doing a good job there anyway. Yeah. Cool. Should we wrap it up there? We should. All right. Hey, don't forget about the class in New York City, October 12 and 13. That class is filling up and you need to go to thinkinglsat.com to register. The price is $3.95, but if you're a Demon Premium subscriber, you can get a $300 scholarship. If you're a regular <laughs> subscriber, you get a $200 scholarship, uh, reducing the price down to $195 or $95. It's a bargain. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. Learn a lot. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Please, please come join us. We're going to have a great time. Hey, uh, join the thinking else at podcast group on Facebook. You can like our thinking else at page on Facebook. Just search for at thinking else at we're we're at thinking else at everywhere. So Instagram and Twitter, I'm at in Fox on Twitter, uh, Ben at Olson Benjamin. You can go to strategyprep.com if you want to learn about Ben's classes in D.C. You can go to foxelsat.com if you want to learn about my classes in San Francisco and Los Angeles. We have uh, all sorts of online and one-on-one options, including, of course, the LSAT demon, which everybody should know about by now. You can do a seven-day free trial if you haven't checked it out, but that's at lsatdemon.com. I think that's it. That's it. Well, that was episode number 211 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.